You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to New York. This is, is the Devil's Devil State, State of Mind, of Mind podcast, podcast, brought to you brought by to the, you hockey the Hockey Podcast, podcast Network. Network. Now here's now your here's host, host, Neil Villapiano! My goodness, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. I don't know where to start, ladies and gentlemen. I really don't. I've, I've literally been he- sitting here for a half hour trying to figure out how I'm going to start this episode. But uh, I guess I'll start with what is going on, Devils fans? It is always your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network the best place to get everything you need to know about your new Jersey Devils. I would imagine that you that everybody that's listening to this episode is having a much better day, much handful of better days than this team right now. But as always, I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. Wherever you listen to podcast episodes, wherever you listen to this podcast, thank you guys as always for taking some time out of your day to check these episodes out. I really, really do appreciate it as Always, this episode and everything we do is sponsored by the awesome people at DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use our promo code uh, when you sign up, THPN. Um, I'm really not going to sugarcoat it with you guys. Uh, This team is a fucking joke. Um, it, It really is. I mean, what I just saw on Tuesday night was just another chapter in the many chapters that we've had literally just this season where this team doesn't look like it cares, doesn't look like it's, it's, it's competing. Uh, They don't seem to have any pride and it shows in the attendance as well. Um, And I'll talk about that more in depth as we move along here, but uh, we have a major injury update to uh, give you guys. We're obviously going to talk about the debacle and embarrassment that was Tuesday's game against the Dallas stars. And then I'm actually going to try to finish the episode on a high note because there are a handful of women that uh, have made major um, marks in professional hockey that I wanted to shed some light on because I think it's really, really important. But as always, guys, we have a bunch to talk about here on Devil's State of Mind podcast. So let's not waste any more time and get rolling. So let's just kick it off with the worst news that we could have gotten over the last couple of days. Um, on Tuesday morning, this past Tuesday, the Devils officially announced that Mackenzie Blackwood would be put on injured reserve with a left heel injury. Makira um, Schmidt was called up after being in Utica for like what seemed like a day, but he was there for like a week and change or something like that. Um, this is obviously the same heel injury that. Um, Blackwood had surgery on in the offseason and uh, 
head coach Lindy Ruff had a few comments about um, about this that I wanted to share real quick. Uh, the first thing he said was, quote, the goal is to get him healthy. I mean, he struggled with the injuries and it's been something that's affected his play and we want him to get healthy and we want to see him play. But Lindy Ruff also said this last week. He said, quote, you know that we've had a lot of maintenance with him where he hasn't skated or his practice time has been cut. It's something that we've been dealing with for a long period, end quote. Um, Ruff would go on to say also, Mackenzie Blackwood bet right now the team will give him some time off the ice to get him healthy, and there is no timeline at the moment. Uh, he said that he would like to see Blackwood play again, but wants to see him close to fully healthy when he's back. Um, Lindy Ruff also said back on January 5th, which I, I saw on social media and I actually was able to uh, check it out, that he, he said something along the lines of, uh, Blackwood needs to understand that he's the main guy here in net and that he's going to be given a lot of starts moving forward and he's going to have to play through a lot of um, a lot of adversity. Uh, and he and Lindy Ruff did not um, elaborate on what that meant. But um, at this point, we know what that adversity was. Um, so when I first got this news, my first reaction was you knew this was coming. You knew that watching Blackwood the last couple of weeks that he's not right, that he's been really for the for you know 75% of the time has been really inconsistent. Uh Blackwood has made comments along the lines of he's dealing with something. Um Lindy Ruff said, if you recall, before two uh Sunday's game against the Kings, Blackwood was supposed to play. And then we found out like an hour and a half before the game that John Gillies was going to be in net and that Blackwood was dealing with, with something and that they weren't going to elaborate on it. But we all pretty much knew what exactly was going on here. The reality is simply this. Blackwood never has been able to fully recover from off-season surgery. Um, even, when this, even when he sat out the first couple of games, he just never could. And it was, an, it was a surgery that probably needed a lot more time for him to heal, but I think the pressure of and the expectations of this team probably pushed him to wanting to play despite the pain, and he was going to play through it. That was pretty much what I would assume is the reality of this whole thing. Um, but also, this just proves that the surgery it did, did not fully work. Um, and there's the possibility that Blackwood may have hurt himself worse than where he was when he got the surgery. Um, it does beg the question of what is the next step for Blackwood? Personally, I think that the, the logical answer is you have to shut him down the rest of the year. I know that some people might not fully agree. Um, I still feel confident, though, that most of you would agree, considering how I've been interacting with you guys on social media. But again, I do think the best thing to do, in my opinion, is to shut him down the rest of the year. Go with John Gillies, Akira Schmidt, or a combination of Schmidt and Dawes or whatever the rest of the year and kind of go from there. Because we have to be realistic, ladies and gentlemen. There's 41 games to go in the regular season. This team, as I just saw, has almost less than 1% chance of making the playoffs at this point. I mean, we're pretty much getting close to 0%. Um, obviously, it's going to take us another month probably or so to be mathematically eliminated. But realistically speaking, the Devils have no prayer of making the playoffs. And you can just tell by the way the team has been talking, the way that they've been operating, they don't believe that they can make the playoffs either. Um, with the amount of injuries and adversity that this team has faced this year, um, it's amazing that they're not in dead last. But that just shows you how bad a team like Arizona, who the Devils lost to last week, how bad a team like Arizona or how bad a team like Mon Montreal has been this year. But I wanted to take a few moments, a few minutes of your time to talk about something that I posted on social media because I didn't really give my opinion about Mackenzie Blackwood's situation for a couple of hours after we found out that he was going to be put on an IR. But I saw a lot of people on social media talking about their opinions about Blackwood. And there were people that were very critical of Blackwood because they feel that he has 
incredibly underperformed since he got in the NHL that he, they had, we had so we had high hope for him to be that franchise number one goaltender and he hasn't really lived up to it. And then you have people that are also arguing, well, he doesn't really get the support that he needs. And then you also have people that say, yeah, but at the same time, he also will give up a lot of soft goals. And that is true. Everything that you guys have said, it's hundred percent true, but I use Blackwood to explain a bigger point to this whole thing. And I used Corey Schneider and I've talked about Corey numerous times in the podcast. You guys should know by now he's going to forever be one of my all time favorite devils. Um, he was, when he was in his prime and in the first couple of years, he was in New Jersey. Um, he was really good. He was, he was literally the only reason I felt like at times that people were coming to games. I didn't feel like at times the team gave you a whole lot because we were pretty old and we weren't really, you know, doing as much as we should have been doing. But I'm going to read to you this thread that I made on Twitter at Devil State, which is also pinned to the profile. So you guys can check it out. But I, I made this tweet and I wanted to read it out loud to you guys. I said, I want to talk about Mackenzie Blackwood and why what you're seeing from him is exactly what we saw from Corey Schneider, a threat. Corey Schneider played for us for seven years. In his first four years with the Devils, he had an impressive goals against average of 2.30 and a save percentage of 0.920. His win-loss record, 89, 98, and 38. 47 games below 500. Why was it that bad? Because we had barely any scoring, so-so defense, bad coaching, and ownership. By the time 17-18 came around, the team was much better, but Corey wasn't himself. Why? Because he suffered a groin injury as well as a hip injury from being overworked the previous several seasons. He was never able to recover from it, and people got on him badly, not knowing how bad the injury really was. He went on that horrendous 21-game losing streak despite having solid games in net. Why? Because we gave him no support at all. He regressed so much that the Devils bought him out of the final year of that $6 million average annual value contract we signed him to and are still paying him $2 million per year for the next two to three seasons. Now look at Blackwood. He's many years younger than when Corey was here, but he suffers the same issues. No defensive support, lack of consistent scoring, coaching and managerial turmoil, and a lack of backup goalie help. I won't excuse Mac for his inconsistent play 100%, but look at Mac now. He's gotten hurt several times, played through pain, had COVID, and still hasn't gotten enough support. Now we come to today, which was Tuesday. His heel surgery didn't work. He's been overworked and he's regressing just like Corey. Seem familiar? Point is this. This organization has done a piss poor job over the past decade of adapting to the new NHL. They don't have a coach with a system that's best for, his, for this young team. The ownership management either doesn't care or is clueless. It's sad, unfair, annoying, bullshit, and so many more bad things. This isn't a Blackwood problem. This wasn't a Corey problem. The real problem, an entire organization who makes countless mistakes and doesn't adapt, period. So yes, Blackwood hasn't been great at all, but it's not entirely on him. It's on the entire organization from top to bottom, 110%. That, Devils fans, is what is truly wrong with our team. And a lot of you guys seem to really support that. And I do appreciate that a lot of you do agree. I know there was maybe one or two that didn't agree fully with what I'm saying, but I seem to um, see that I think the majority of you or pretty much all of you agree in one way or another with what I was trying to say. The reality is simply that Blackwood is suffering the same fate that Corey was dealing with. This team doesn't support the goaltender very much. Lack of consistent scoring. The defense, while at times has been better because we got guys like Dougie Hamilton and Ryan Graves, it is still not where it needs to be. And we leave guys out to dry. Just look at last night against the... Um, against the Dallas Stars. Just look at the first 16 seconds of the game. It was right there. We left Pavelski wide open. I mean, we're not even trying. We're really not even trying. Um, so the, the, the real problem is simply this. 
I think, unfortunately, Blackwood may never get to the level that we were hoping he'd get to. Uh, do I think that he could still be one of the two goaltenders for this team? Yes. Do I think we need to massively upgrade the goaltending position? Yeah. And I'm not talking about we just bring back Jonathan Bernier next year because Bernier's in his mid-30s. And that's usually when your skills start to decline, especially that he's coming off season-ending hip surgery. I mean, there's very little... There's a very little possibility, in my opinion, that Jonathan Bernier is back next year. I don't believe the Devils will keep him. They sign him to a two-year deal. If they buy him out, they're only paying him like a little over a million dollars for the next couple of years. It's not that big of a deal. And they save about $3 million in cap. So really, honestly, I think that's the best thing. The other issue is that when it comes to free agency, there aren't really that many good options. And the good options that probably will be there are from guys that are also in their mid, mid to late 30s that are more or less looking to try to join teams that are much closer to winning a Stanley Cup than where the Devils are right now. So are the Devils screwed? No. They unfortunately just have to get very creative when it comes to goaltending. Nico Dawes and Akira Schmidt show a lot of promise, but they're way too young. And they're getting thrown into these situations unfairly because this team has done a very bad job of roster management, of keeping players healthy, because that, that's definitely something you have to think about. How does this team continue to have this many injuries, especially to key players every single year? It's very frustrating. Um, and so that's where we're at. So with Blackwood, it's just a matter of, well, I think the right thing to do is to save them for next year because you're not going anywhere this year. You are you are putting him in a position where he's being overworked. And if Lindy Ruff knew earlier this year that Blackwood was hurt and Blackwood was talking about it and Lindy Ruff didn't do anything, that just adds on to another reason as to why Lindy Ruff and this coaching staff has to go. It is very sad that the coach in the that there's been one coach in the last seven, eight years that this team has had that has seemed to respond well to. And that is Elaine Nazardine, who has been an interim coach already. And I think most likely may get an opportunity to be an interim coach again this season, depending on how much worse this year actually gets. Um, but what you're seeing from Mackenzie Blackwood is what we saw from Corey. And by the time the Devils were done with Corey, he was a shell of what he once was. And now he's in the minor leagues of the Islanders, and he'll probably never play in the NHL again. And it's sad to say, because Corey, for four years, was one of the better goaltenders in the league. We just gave him no help, and he did everything he could to win games. And Blackwood, at times has played as well as anybody could ask him to play and we still don't help him out and we still lose games. And he was forced to play through a lot of injury, a lot of pain when he shouldn't have, but because of the fact that we lost Jonathan Bernier and we keep playing guys like Gillies and we played Dawes and we played Schmidt, we played Wedgwood for a while. We're just in a position where honestly, we, we, we can't, we, we can't, do anything about it if the devils had been able to keep scott wedgwood honestly i think then this would have been easier for the devils to sit uh blackwood for the rest of the year i still believe that that should be the ultimate decision i wouldn't be surprised within two weeks the devils just decide to shut him down the rest of the year and go from there because there's probably going to be a lot more losses moving forward and there's going to be some ugly losses as well and it's better for blackwood to be sitting and resting and getting probably surgery again and just going forward from there. I don't know what Blackwood will be like next year. I really honestly don't care right now. What I care about is you can't force Blackwood to continue to play when the heel is not, is not there and he's just hurting himself. He's hurting the team and we're regressing. And that's not what you want at all. So that's really what I wanted to say about um, Blackwood's situation comparatively to what we experienced with Corey Schneider. So the main point of this is simply that until further notice, uh, Blackwood will be on IR. So John Gillies, Akira Schmidt, potentially Nico Dawes, and maybe even Merrick Smittens, if it gets that crazy, um, are going to have to carry the load for the Devils for the final 41 games of the season. So I would say to Devils fans, buckle up because it's going to be a rough couple of final months here of the season, and we all just have to get through it. 
I'm going to try to make this quick, guys. Uh, we're going to shift over to the game against the Dallas Stars back on Tuesday. I actually went to this game because a friend of mine got free tickets because it's 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 super ridiculous how easy it is to get free tickets to Devils games because of how bad we are. This has been going on for years, but, you know, it's just one of those times. I was obviously debating going because I just didn't see the point. I didn't think that the Devils were going to win this game. I was hoping that maybe we'd only lose like three to one or, you know, two nothing where, you know, we didn't get embarrassed, but we, we didn't win anyway. Um, that wasn't the case at all. Everything that I was afraid of happened in this game. Uh, the Devils were looking to try to go 500 on this homestand. They were 1-2-0 and going into it. The Stars were playing in New Jersey for the first time since February of 2020. So nearly, it's been nearly two years since the last time they were in New Jersey. It was a tail end of a back-to-back for the Stars coming off a 3-1 to win against the Flyers the night before, which extended their losing streak to 13 games. Just crazy to think about. They've had two 10-game losing streaks, and we're still neck and neck with them for towards the bottom of the Metropolitan Division. I think that should tell you a lot. Um, the Stars were also coming in on a three-game winning streak, so they were playing pretty well. This was this game was also on ESPN+, Plus, which if you've watched enough Devils games this year, even on ESPN+, Plus, other than maybe the game against Florida, we have really, really embarrassed ourselves when we play on a national stage, and this was something that I was worried about. And the Devils decided to go with Akira Schmidt. I understood it because Gillies played the last two games. I just did not like the fact that he was here. Not because I don't think Akira Schmidt shows promise. It's just that this kid is too young. But unfortunately, the Devils don't have any sort of other options right now. So they have to have one of these guys come up. And it sucks because Schmidt and Dawes have been dominating down in Utica. And they were playing well. When Schmidt first got called up, he was the top goaltender in the American Hockey League. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's frustrating because it prevents that it has, it has them go from a winning team to coming up to the big leagues, knowing that this team is towards the bottom of the NHL and going nowhere fast and having to play behind a depleted team, which really sucks. And the Devils really wasted no time upsetting everyone because 14 seconds in, the star scored on a goal by Joe Pavelski. I wasn't even in my fucking seat yet. I was, wa- I was going up the, es- the escalator to my seat while the stars, the stars scored. Think about that. I wasn't even in my seat. By the time I got through, got to the entrance to, of my section, I looked at the score. They were already losing. And at that point, you knew the game was over. You knew the game was over 14 seconds in because the Devils right away showed that they do not think they're going to win this game. And the Stars would end up scoring not one but two more goals. And by the end of the first period, it's 3 nothing. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I really, for the first time in my life, I actually was very much considering leaving. Because at that point, I didn't care if they came back and won or anything like that. For them to come out and not even show up and have no pride is is embarrassing in itself. John Gillies came in to start the second period. We all kind of cheered about it, but 15 seconds in, the first shot of the period. He gives up a fucking goal. So he outdid uh, Akira Schmidt. He gave up a goal 15 seconds in, and it's 4 nothing. I mean, and it was just ridiculous. And even and that's when I really, honestly, looking back, that's when I really should have just said, you know what? Fuck it. I don't want to be here anymore. You know, it didn't cost us anything to come to this game. Let's just go home. Because clearly the Devils don't want to play, and this is a waste of everybody's time. But me being the type of person that I am and the people I was with, we stayed to the very end regardless, even if it can be tough. And and believe me, it was tough. Uh, The Devils did score on the power play, which makes it now five games in a row in which we scored a power play goal. Jesper Bratt, literally, other than Jack Hughes, the only good thing on this team right now, he scored the power play goal, and it was 4-1. to I didn't even stand up and clap. I just sat there. I just sat there because I just was not, I wasn't amused by it at all. Um, and then the Devils in the third period had the audacity with three minutes left to pull fucking Gillies for no reason. And I was so mad that I was just yelling down from my section saying, do you want to embarrass yourself even more? Why are we doing this? What is the point? And sure enough, because that's what we do. We give up an empty net goal. 
and we end up losing this game five to one. We're embarrassed again on home ice. Honestly, what's hilarious is that John Gillies actually had a pretty solid game, even though he gave up that goal 15 seconds into the second. He was actually pretty good. Jesper Bratt has scored each of the team's last three goals in the last two games. The Devils finished one three now on the homestand, and they are officially now 15 21 and five at the halfway point of the season, 11 games below 500. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are at the bottom. We are towards the bottom of the NHL. We have won a whopping 36% of our games this season. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is what really pisses me the fuck off about this team for the last many years. And I also want to take this into consideration. I don't want, I, I not consideration. I want to explain what made me feel the most embarrassed about being a fan of this team? I was at the game last night, as I just mentioned. It was so fucking empty. I could have snuck down behind the bench and nobody would have stopped me. It was that empty. Now I get it. Some people are upset about the mask rule and things like that. And granted, it didn't matter because most people weren't wearing the mask anyway and nobody was enforcing the rule. So what was the what's the point of having the rule if nobody's going to enforce it? But that's besides the point. The other reason is simply that nobody finds any sort of reason to come to these games. Several people that I've talked to on social media say the only reason I go to games now is to watch guys like Bratton and Jack Hughes because they're the only people that seem to give a damn, that play like they give a damn. And that's really the sad thing. This team is like top five in lowest attendance in the NHL. And we're just a doormat for the rest of the league. And I saw a statistic that was mind boggling. Over the last seven, eight years, we have the second most losses in the NHL behind Buffalo. That's horrible. You know, a decade ago, we were one of the top teams in the NHL. We had just come off going to the Stanley Cup Finals. We were two wins away from winning the fucking Cup. And you go a decade later, and this team is a joke. And I don't want to hear the whole thing about, well, we have injuries. We have this. We have that. No. The reality is, is that we have a terrible coach. We have a GM that seems to just not want to do anything. And we have an ownership that either doesn't care or does not know what the fuck they're doing. And I've been one of the biggest supporters of Tom Fitzgerald since he got hired. Do not get me wrong. But seeing what has happened since he took over, I'm not impressed. I don't feel like we're any better than where we were two years ago. In some cases, I feel like we're worse. I feel like we keep missing on things. We brought in Tomas Tatar to be a top six winger. When was the last time he scored? He does nothing most of these games. I can see now why Montreal didn't play him in the playoffs last year. When you come to the Devils, especially over the last seven, eight years, you come here and your skills just are not the same. You, you, stop, you, stop, you forget how to play hockey. And it doesn't matter the coaching staff or anything. It's the entire philosophy of the organization that you have to play a certain way because we have young players. But at this point, it is really ridiculous that we continue to coddle guys when honestly, this team at times needs a kick in the ass. They need to be yelled at. They need to be cussed at. They need, they need to have things questioned. Do they have any pride? Like, these are questions that I think need to be asked. And there's other things like we have literally one reporter for this team, and that's it. I guarantee you that every single other team in the National Hockey League has at least two people or more that cover this team. We have one person, and she works for the team. That's what's upsetting. We don't have an independent reporter. People don't care about this team anymore because the team doesn't seem to care about the, organ about the fan base. And about people who are from here. I'm a very proud New Jersey. I'm very proud of being from this state. I take great pride in the Devils being literally the only professional team with the state's name in it. Even though we're not the only team and only sports team in this state that's playing here. But watching this team... You, you just feel like that there is no end to this, that every time we think there's a rock bottom, they just find more ways to embarrass themselves. I mean, look at look, look at what's happened. I mean, we lost four to one to fucking Arizona at home when Arizona is 
obviously trying to lose. You play Dallas, and granted, Dallas has been playing well, but you don't even show up. You give up goals 16, 15 seconds in the periods. Like, you've just tapped out. This team, this team doesn't care what Lindy Ruff says at this point. Anything that Lindy Ruff says is falling on deaf ears. And there are players on this team that, honestly, if they got traded or got moved, I wouldn't be that upset. Like, if Pavel Zaka got moved, I wouldn't care. I really wouldn't. Um, it's it's just ridiculous. And I remember seeing an article that was written by somebody and it was talking about the two options that the Devils probably have at this point. You either try to continue to, to add on pieces to this young core or you accept the fact that once again, a rebuild failed and you have to blow it up. Now, maybe it's too early to necessarily think about blowing it up. I doubt the Devils would do that. But like, let's say they start next season and they're below, there's several games below 500 into late October. To me, that would just signify that this team is going nowhere and that we're just stunting so many young players' growths. The only guys that I've seen that have been able to play through this retarded system is guys like Jesper Bratt, Jack Hughes, and Dougie Hamilton when he was healthy. Everyone else continues to just play the same way, and they don't seem to try to do anything else. And the coaching staff doesn't seem to uh, to care. And you know it's bad when Elaine Nazarene was the coach for several games while Lindy Brook was in COVID protocol, and the Devils played so much better. I would not be surprised if Lindy Ruff got fired tomorrow that the Devils actually end up playing the rest of the season pretty well because Elaine Nazardine is the head coach. They seem to respond to him because I think, I think that Elaine Nazardine just tells this team to go out there and play hockey and that's that. And it's very upsetting to me that that's the case in many ways because the head coach is not doing the job that they were brought in to do. And I'm sorry. At the end of the day, results is the most important thing. And I know people talk about, oh, this team needs to progress. This team can't progress. We're, th- this team has not been, in, been put in a position to progress. In many ways, we're regressing again. And that's what's upsetting. We have created a culture of losing where a lot of the players on this team who have been here for three or four years have gotten so used to that when the going gets tough, they really honestly don't come out and show any sort of fight. And that's really what's upsetting to me. So, look, guys, we got 41 more games to go this season. We're not going anywhere fast. The only thing we can really hope for, which is probably unlikely, but the only thing we can hope for is that if the team continues to lose, and not only lose, but lose in embarrassing fashions, um, that change will actually happen. I doubt it because the Devils have shown in the past to not do what is necessary. But, you know, as a fan, that's all you could bank on. Because you can't do anything, even if you don't go to the game. I mean, what does it matter? What does it matter? So that, that's really what I have for that. And it's it's just depressing. And I, I was talking about it earlier today with people that I did not know what I was going to say today on the Devil's Day My Podcast. I haven't been able to figure out exactly what I'm supposed to say a lot of time to you guys. And that's what's upsetting, is I come on here and I try to give you guys passion. Passion and everything like that. And I'm, I guess I'm showing passion by, by how upset I am, but I feel like I'm just saying the same things that I've said before. This team is going nowhere fast and we're not doing anything about it. And Lindy Ruff needs to be fired. I think several players need to go. Um, and we need to get a coach in here with a system that is going to be good for the team that we have, not shoving a system down a team's throat and expecting them to just all of a sudden know how to know what to do. So you can blame injuries. You can blame COVID. You can, you can make any excuse that you want at the end of the day. But all you got to do is look at the last 10 years and you realize that those excuses don't mean anything anymore. There's no longer those excuses. The writing is on the wall. This organization is satisfied with being a doormat. That's where we are at this point. That's where we are. And I am going to continue to be a fan of this team. I'm never going to give up being a fan of this team. I'm always going to cheer them on. Uh, and, and try to be the best fan that I can be. But I'm also just going to be realistic. I'm going to continue to be realistic with you guys. And I'm going and I'm going to sit here and say, look, if we lose, we lose. If we win, 
So what? I mean, it, it's not going to affect a whole lot. And I'm not looking forward to the draft. I'm not looking forward to any of that. And I'm not going to get excited about this team again until we actually show that we know that until we feel 100% confident and we know for a fact that this team is moving in the right direction. We thought that was the case when the season started so well, 7-3-2, and two, but that turned out to be just another one, another chapter of the many years of this team. Just honestly, just not giving a shit. And that's basically what we're at at this point. So that's really what I wanted to say about that. And um, I'll just leave it at that. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win $280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So the last thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about is I actually wanted to try to end the episode on a high note because I feel like a lot of these episodes, they've just been really depressing. And I understand everybody's frustration, but I'm just trying to be honest. But I wanted to end this one on a positive note. And we've gotten some positivity, not necessarily involving the devils, but I just think in the hockey world and in the world in general, I think it's been good. Um, it's it's basically talking about women making impacts in the game of hockey. So. I have, let me see here. I just want to double check. I have three women that uh, in the last like week or two um, have made significant impacts in the game of hockey and have been uh, hired in different capacities that uh, really just kind of show that barriers are being broken and that it's allowing, it, it just shows that, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a woman, a man, it, it, none of that matters. If you are capable enough of doing the job and you, you got the job based on merit, then, then it's all good. But it just shows that women can do the same jobs that men can do in, in many different ways. And, and I wanted to shed some light and shout these women out. So the first one that I wanted to talk about was uh, Emily Castanguay. Uh, Kasten, I apologize if I said that name incorrectly. Uh, a Monday afternoon, this past Monday, the Vancouver Canucks that they announced that Emily, a player agent, has been hired as an assistant general manager, becoming only the second woman in NHL history to hold that title. She's 38 years of age and is the first woman to serve as an assistant GM in the franchise's history. She follows Angela Gorgone, who was promoted to assistant GM of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks back in 1996, as the only woman to be hired as an assistant general manager in the National Hockey League. Rutherford, Jim Rutherford, who's now the uh, president of the Vancouver Canucks, appeared determined to hire a woman as his assistant general manager. Among the other candidates for the job were Jennifer Butterill, uh, currently a commentator for Sportsnet, Jaina Hefford, formerly the commissioner of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, and Angela Ruggiero, who is a member of the executive board of the International Olympic Committee. Um, Kasten Gwey joins the team for, from Momentum Hockey, where she was the first woman to be certified by the NHL Players Association as a player agent in 2016. Her most prominent client was Alexis Lafreniere, who was selected number one overall by the New York Rangers in the 2020 NHL entry draft. Rutherford had pledged to build a more diverse front office, but Kasten Gwey who said she's always taken a non-binary approach to her career and never focused on gender, made it clear she wouldn't have taken the job if it felt like the Canucks were simply trying to check a box for good public relations. <clears throat> Prior to becoming an agent, Castingway, who was named one of, 20, one of the 25 most powerful women in hockey by Sportsnet in 2020, 
played four years of Division I NCAA hockey as a forward at Niagara University, where she graduated with a bachelor's degree in finance in 2009 and won a National Scholar Athlete Award. Following an internship with the Montreal Canadiens, where she, meant, where she was mentored by then general manager Pierre Gauthier, she earned a law degree from the University of Montreal in 2012 and is a member of the Quebec Bar Association. So this woman, so Emily is a very, very well-respected person in the game of hockey, especially as an agent. And obviously I know how sometimes when a player agent gets hired as the GM, it doesn't usually work out. Look at what the New York Mets did a couple of years ago. But just doing my research, learning about her, learning about what she wanted to do, it goes to show you that she's somebody that was a go that is a go getter. That she had a goal in mind. That she wants to get the opportunity to be in the higher ranks in the NHL and make an impact in the NHL in her own way. And this, to me, is just the start of women getting more involved in the National Hockey League on those type of levels. I think eventually we'll get to the point where potentially a female might end up becoming a head coach in the National Hockey League and eventually have a uh, a female GM. I know that the Montreal Canadiens were definitely considering it. They considered several women for the head for the general manager job. So it just goes to show that more women are starting to really make a name for themselves in the game of hockey, and it's starting to be recognized. And it's not a publicity stunt, and they're legitimately breaking records, earning these jobs by merit, and going from there. And so I'm very much interested to see how Emily does. And I think it's great for the game of hockey. It's great for Vancouver. Um, and this is not going to be the only time we talk about the Canucks in this segment. The, the, the Canucks have really, really gotten themselves in the news of late in, in very many positive ways, even with the team still playing very, very well. So the next person I want to talk about is a woman by the name of Aisha Visra. Back on January 14th, Aisha Visram became the first woman in Los Angeles Kings history to work behind the bench in that Thursday's game. Visram, an athletic trainer, was behind the bench for the Kings' 6-2 win against the Pittsburgh Penguins at the Crypto.com Arena, or the Staples Center, for those of you that don't know. She is the second woman ever to work behind the bench in the NHL after assistant athletic trainer Jody Van Rees with the Montreal Canadiens back in 2002, according to the Professional Hockey Athletic Trainers Society. That's pretty impressive that they have their own society. I think that's really cool, actually. King's head coach Todd McClone had high praise for Visrom's work. Quote, that's incredible. That's great. We need more of that in our game. I can tell you that Aisha is a big part of our organization, end quote. And then he goes on to say, uh, quote, and we don't talk about these people. We don't talk about the trainers or the equipment people, but she's mentoring with head athletic trainer Chris Kingsley and the rest of the staff and accepted a huge role there and does a tremendous job. So unreal, a reward for her and everybody's a big part of it. So include her in it. This rum is head trainer for the Kings American Hockey League affiliate in Ontario, California, and got the call to work for the Kings on Thursday after members of their support staff entered COVID-19 protocol. So there's, so there's that. Now, granted, like, I honestly, I can understand where people say, oh, well, she only got there because, you know, the team needed her because people were out of COVID. You know, I, I get that. But at the same time, when I read to you, like her background, you can understand also why she's so respected within the Kings organization. This Rom worked for the Adirondack of the ECHL from 2017 to 2020, so she has a little bit of Devils connection, while also serving on the league's Trainers Advisory Committee. From 2012 to 2017, she was the trainer for the NCAA Division I St. Lawrence University men's and women's ice hockey teams. And Thursday also happened to be the one-year anniversary of her being hired by the Ontario Reign. So there was a little bit of... Uh, little bit of good things there so that day will always be a big day for her in more than one way but again she's another example of women getting the opportunities to work in the national hockey league make an impact and just showcase to the world and to young girls out there who want to get involved in the game of hockey whether it be as a player as a coach as an executive that it is possible that if you work hard and that you show that you are capable of doing the job 
and you earn and, and you earn every single thing that these opportunities are going to come because we are in a world now where women are and this is great news that women are being more accepted in these different types of work worlds and it's not publicity stunts they're being hired based off of merit and it's a really really good thing so Visram definitely earned that opportunity and she certainly is going to get more opportunities moving forward with the Los Angeles Kings. Now, the last woman is the one that I find the most intriguing. No knock to the other two women I just mentioned, but but this woman definitely impressed me with just her journey and everything that's um, that she's gotten to this point. Rachel Dorier. Last Thursday, the Vancouver Canucks, so again the Canucks, making headlines, announced the hiring of Rachel Dorier, uh, who will be taking on a hockey analytics role within the organization. She will be working in the hockey analytics department alongside Aiden Fox, Ryan Beek, and Miles Hogan. After graduating from Laurentian University with a commerce degree in sports administration, Dorier landed a job at The Athletic, one of the most well-known uh, sports media journalist um, companies. She's worked in the athletic for a while, primarily covering player slash prospect video analysis. Shortly after, she served as an analytics advisor for Nip Nipissing University, where she assisted in video preparation as well as maintain statistical databases for the team. Dorier also hosted the Staff and Graph podcast from March 2019 to now a role that allowed her to further break down and discuss specific hockey statistics and analytics to a wider audience base. Dorier used the platform to announce her new gig with the Canucks. So her last episode, she came on and said, yeah, I got the job with the Canucks. Dorier served as one of the player information and video analysts for the New Jersey Devils from December 2017 to April of 2019 a position she first took on when she was just 21 years old. Prior to joining the Devils, Dorier also served as a hockey operations video coach for the Sudbury Wolves between September 2015 and March of 2017. At 21 years old, she wasn't just the youngest female to join an NHL analytics department. She was the youngest person ever to earn such a role. So she was already breaking barriers several years ago. Dorier was let go from the Devils organization in early 2019. That meant she missed out on the team's mental health awareness night, which was also uh, this past Tuesday against the Stars, that Dorier played a part in creating. She told this story about how the initiative came to fruition. Devils, uh, at the time, CEO Scott O'Neill had a meeting where he got together with coordinator-level people in the office. It was just sort of an informal let's talk thing. He asked if we had any questions for him. I said, I want to know why this organization doesn't do anything in the mental health space because it's something that is really important, especially given the fact that athletes have come out and said they've suffered from mental health issues and felt like they didn't get enough support. After that meeting, the idea was presented to the organization, and the Devils first mental health awareness night occurred in February of 2019, and the team continues to do it uh, moving um, moving forward, you know, last year and this year and everything like that. So shout out to Rachel for being the one that pushed that. I give you 100% credit. I I'm so happy that you pushed it because mental health is such an important thing to discuss, especially over the last couple of years with COVID and everything. And like I've said before, it's really okay to not be okay because you are not alone and everybody has somebody to talk to. And we have all these different outlets now where people are, uh, you know, feel free to talk about these things and, you know, be able to get through these very, very difficult times with people, with good people that they can surround themselves with. And it's great. And we're trying to break the stigma about mental health. And it's great to see. And it's great that people like Rachel pushed it even several years ago. And I want to give her all the credit in the world. So shout out to Rachel for doing that, especially involving it with the New Jersey Devils. The now 25-year-old also had a brief stint with Hockey Canada, serving as their video coach for two months in the summer of 2017. In addition to taking on the role as director of advanced performance at York University, for the past three seasons. Dorier is currently wrapping up her master's degree in sports science and analytics at York University. And here are a couple of quotes that she had, um, that she said from her Q&A with The Athletic before she took the job with Vancouver. She said, first, I'd like to be a GM one day. She really, really has aspirations to be a National Hockey League general manager. 
If I could be an inspiration to a woman, I'm happy to do that. It's important to remember who helped you along the way and reciprocate that to people who come after you. Analytics are salad. The eye test is lettuce. The analytics is dressing. And all the toppings are things like mental performance and things of that nature. And then when she was talking about Vancouver, she said the fan support in Vancouver is second to none. I, I would way rather have passionate fans who are constantly yelling on Twitter and stirring up rumors. Devils fans know all about that. Then fans who don't shut up at all, who don't show up at all, and who um, or who are uninterested. So, I am just blown away by what Rachel has done in her short twenty-five years of life and all the things that she has accomplished. I'm amazed by all the things that all three of these women accomplished. And there are many other women out there, not just in hockey, not just in sports, but all over the world that are being, are starting to be given those major opportunities to really make an impact in this world. And I've talked about it before that at the end of the day, all you have is your personal integrity. You know what you're about, you know what you believe in. And the important thing in, as well is to just remember to treat everybody like a human being. And I think a lot of time we forget that. And we, we, we constantly have these problems with people being sexist, homophobic, racist, and every other bad term you want to, you want to come up, you want to, you want to talk about. I mean, it's, it's still going on to this day and there's still a lot of problems, but you're starting to see a lot of that change. You're starting to see people of color and, and people and, and women and just people of different sexes being given opportunities, not for publicity, but based on merit, based on them earning it and showcasing that they are the right people for the job. And you could see how a team like Vancouver, a team like LA, other teams in the National Hockey League, other teams in sports are starting to give these people an opportunity, these, these people an opportunity to do the job and do it well. And so we're all rooting for them 100%. And I'm sure Vancouver fans are rooting for both of them because at the end of the day, they just want to see their team win. And they want to see those people be the right people to come in and do the job. And if those women can continue to do their jobs and do their jobs well, it allows so many other people, especially males in these higher positions to recognize, you know what, if these women could do it, there are many other women out there that are incredibly talented, super gifted, and could be nothing but benef beneficial to the success of our, of our business, of our team, or whatever you want to say. And again, not just in sports, not just in hockey, but in the workplace and in, in, in the world in general. So I wanted to shed some light on this. I wanted to talk about these women because it is important. I'm a big supporter of women being given the fair opportunities as men do when it comes to, you know, rising up in the ranks in businesses and being able to do it because there are a lot of women out there that do a damn good job of what they do. And the important thing for me is this, what, regardless of whether you're a woman, a man, whatever, you have to earn these jobs based on how hard you work. That's what I care about. That these people, and, I, and I, I don't care about sex. I don't care about race. I care about, are these good people? Are these people good people? And do they work hard? If, if, that, if that's what it is, then it makes it easy to hire them regardless of who they are as a person, regardless of who they are based on you know, their physical appearance. That's what I care about. I care about, do they work hard and are they good people? That's what I care about. And I wanted to shout these women out as well, because I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. We need to talk about it more. We need to shed light on, on these things and we need to give credit where credit is due. So Vancouver's definitely doing a lot of really good things. LA, same thing. A lot of other teams are doing it as well. And this is only just the beginning of, of women breaking barriers to the point where we no longer have to you know, make a big deal about this and where it just becomes part of the norm. Women get hired, men get hired, you know, people, you know, black people, white people, Asians, we all just get hired and things like that. And nobody bats an eye. That's what I would like to hope that we get to a point. And I'm hoping with, with moves like this and opportunities that are created like this, that, that those, that that type of world is getting closer um, than we could have ever thought many, many years ago. So shout out to all these women for breaking some barriers and doing tremendous things and earning, earning the right to have big, big jobs in the National Hockey League.